I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hunters, it's Damask here, your favorite host of the Hunting Seasons podcast. Don't tell Brad he gets jealous. And I'm asking you all to stop the podcast, rate and review us, and then tell a friend. That's right. I am demanding that each and every one of you tell at least one other person in your life about how much you love this show. And if they don't heed your excellent advice, then I demand you get new friends who are smarter and have better taste and then tell them about the Hunting Seasons podcast. Do it now. Jump onto WhatsApp, Snapchat, Facebook Messenger or whatever other communication service you use to avoid real-life human contact and tell someone about Hunting Seasons now. Do it now. I'll be watching you. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Roderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season two of Westworld. Damask Leary, how are things going in your part of the world? Um, It's fucking freezing. It is freezing uh, cold. Freezing. Don't come but to Melbourne right now, everybody. It sucks. <laughs> Stay what wherever you? you are. If you're in the what? Northern Hemisphere, you're doing it better than us at the moment. I guarantee you, at least weather-wise. Who knows, really? What about you, bro? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I can't complain. I've been busy, 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 busy with work and stuff like that. But watching some cool television, so again, looking forward to talking about that. After this, we've got Glow Season 2 coming up. I'm keen to talk about that. I've finally caught up on The Handmaid's Tale, so I can talk about (laughs) that when we get to it, which is good. When you say caught up, do you mean you've watched Season 2 as well? No, I've I've watched all of season one and I've watched the first two episodes of season two. All right, so we're on <laughs> par then. Good, that's great well, news. That's where you're up to as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, we get, I'm getting there, but I'm happy to say because I didn't get to do season one with you. You did that mm-hmm. with our friend Lauren um, last year, and I was away in Japan. How dare I? And I didn't get to talk about it all. I've only just finally caught up. Yeah, it was good. It was depressing as fuck, but it was good television. <laughs> Everyone always says that. I don't find it the first season depressing. You didn't find it depressing? No, I find it inspiring. Inspiring. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Human resilience. It's a beautiful thing. Normally, we would start the show by doing an off-topic hot topic section, which is sort of where we do um, sort of talk about the news or some reviews of things like books or movies or games, whatever we've been consuming that isn't TV. This is going to be a long episode. We've got a lot to talk about. This is Westworld after all. So we're going to get straight into our season in review. Let me clue you in. Season in review. 
Westworld Season 2 takes us back to Psychopath Disneyland, where things are not going well at all, and let's not say any more than that just in case you haven't watched all of Season 1 yet. Co-creators Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy return to steer the ship, as does the majority of last season's core cast, joined this time around by new inclusions Rinko Kikuchi, Hiroyuki Sanada... Tao Okamoto, Kiki Sukazane, Peter Mullen, and Zahn McLennan. Season 2 is available on Showcase via Foxtel in Australia and premiered on HBO on April 22nd, 2018. The season consists of 10 episodes, each coming in at around 58 minutes, with an 86-minute finale, and took us approximately 10 hours and 5 minutes to watch. On May 1st of 2018, Westworld was renewed for a third season, with rumours suggesting it will have a tighter budget and may perhaps even be the final season. This has not been confirmed, we don't know this for sure, but that is the rumour. So before we get started... Um, we should say that we have done a full review of Season 1. We did this last year. You can go find that um, by looking through our archives. Um, Damask, do you remember what our general thoughts on Season 1 were? I remember feeling pretty positive about it. Um, I mean, because I was obviously excited about Season 2. So, I'm sure I was glowing. You were. You yeah, gave it good. five stars. You described yeah, it as a pure joy. I gave it four, um, mainly enjoying its thematic ideas and where it ended up. But finding, I think the, I docked some points because it got bogged down the middle a little bit, I thought. Mm-hmm. And then I think when we were discussing season one in particular, we talked about how there'd been production, the production had stopped and they'd sort of rejiggered things in the middle there. And I thought that had made a big difference. It sort of refocused towards the end. So yeah, like you, had high hopes moving in to this season um, and hopefully going from the non-linear storytelling that was a big part of season one into a new, more settled path that maybe was more linear. So, with that in mind, Damask, Mm -hmm. could you please give us your spoiler-free thoughts and review of Season 2 of Westworld? It's a five-star review, people! Oh, my God, really? You loved it that much? No, I'm joking. (laughs) I thought so. Okay. So, this season has some truly incredible moments. There are episodes that make me go... Holy shit, that is something to behold. What a moment in television. Those moments were character-focused. They were moving character studies that injected a sense of heart into this mystery box show, which is not my favourite format of show. I actually suck at puzzles. I hate puzzles. So this show's probably not for me, I'm realising. However, the majority of this season, though, was cold. The time jumps and the tricks of the season were, I think, ultimately detrimental to the narrative as a whole. Um, time jumps can be fun and Nolan and is it Joy? Joy, yeah. Have, yeah. Yes, Joy. Joy were given an almost impossible task of keeping a very savvy audience guessing. And in order to disguise the mystery this season, they transform this show into something that is practically impenetrable. These machinations of mystery, they didn't intrigue, they confused. And I can usually suffer through being confused because that's generally the state I live in, Um, but only if I have characters to focus on. If I can understand and track emotional arcs, it's okay if I'm feeling a little swamped by ambiguous plot points. That's totally fine for me. But I do not get that this season. There are probably two episodes that work best for me, and that is because it's about people in those episodes. It's not about obscuring the truth. It's not about exploring. Sorry, it, it is about exploring the emotional truth 
of the circumstances these characters find themselves in. Those episodes are great. I wish this show leaned into its potential to tell a great character-focused story of identity and less on creating twists and turns. That's my review. What about you, Brod? I uh, I think my thoughts are very, very similar to yours in a lot of ways. And I, I, the word that comes to mind straight away is that I just this season was very disappointing to me in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And the, I was worried from pretty much episode one. I've been ready since watching the first season, which we've sort of binged pretty quickly because we didn't mm-hmm. watch it as it was coming out. I was ready to make this my new Game of Thrones weekly group watch sort of thing, which I think... HBO kind of wanted to be. It certainly seemed maybe this was unrealistic expectation, expectations, but a lot of people felt like this is was what HBO was trying to do with Game of Thrones ending to find something to take that place to be that everyone's got to watch this much much watch television every every week. Yeah. By episode three, and I was watching it live as it came out week by week for a while. My enthusiasm had dropped so low that we as a group stopped watching it. We were watching Love Island instead. Like, that tells you how bad <laughs> things were going at this point. And mm. I I kept thinking about going back to it. It was always there to go back to, but just couldn't get the enthusiasm to do it. And I was sort of watching some of the general reactions without being spoiled online. And it was, some, it was going up and down, up and down, sort of from week to week. I finally caught up. And just like you said, there's definitely some great individual episodes in this season and some great ideas throughout. The performances can be good. In the show, I think there's some great actors in there, mm-hmm. but they often seem to be so hampered by the dialogue or by the way the story is being told. Mm. Mainly, the biggest thing is just like you said, there was no emotional, nothing emotionally resonant there for me. I just had trouble caring. And that's it happens for lots of lots of reasons. Number one being that there are fuck all characters that are actually characters, it seems like, this season. Like... There are lots of themes or ideas, but they aren't. They they don't translate into people. Dolores really frustrated me this mm. season in particular, yeah. where I felt like we got to meet her and the complexities of her different sides last season. She just she's just ended up sort of being a different person from scene to scene. I have seen some explanations about this from um, the creators in interviews and stuff. Okay, but. That's not really how I want to um, come by this information. It should you be. You mean you don't want to do homework week to week for a show? No, no, I don't. I don't want to be told. <laughs> yeah, I don't want. I kind of want the story to tell the story, not have yeah. to go to the making of interviews to figure out what they're actually talking about. Mm. Um, so I found that really um, annoying. Maeve, I thought early on, was really pretty great, actually. And she's been pretty sharp and witty from the start. But somewhere in the middle, she becomes really stale and rigid. And I stopped finding her captivating or, or very motivating to watch at all. And in fact, some of the, her actions made zero sense to me. Um, right in the middle of the season, just some really dumb decisions are being made there, which doesn't help. And then the characters surrounding these sort of main leads are two-dimensional at best. Bernard has so much potential but is restricted to just looking confused all the time. The Man in Black has definitely has his moments, but it's just I like his quests and stuff he's going on. While thematically they make sense to him as the character, there is so much emphasis placed on like the the moment or the event that I just don't care about because because 
it's so hard to explain without going into spoilers, but Mm. just the world that this takes place in makes caring about individual moments from moment to moment really hard. And the other reason I had trouble caring is that nothing seems to matter. This is hard to discuss again without spoilers, but it to put it plainly, this season has a stakes problem. The plot stakes are vague or kept hidden, and the emotional stakes are told to us. Um, yeah, they're often, uh, literally often told rather than shown, and are hard to swallow because the rules of this world are counterintuitive to the drama, and I can't say any more than that until we get to spoilers. But in, basically, to sum it up, this season was a mess on so many levels. There is something to admire about this show's ambition, no doubt. And early on, I could defend its failures because of this ambition, but that faded the longer and longer the season went on. Um, Yes, it has its highs, but its lows were deep and many for me. What makes it so disappointing is this show has so much going for it. The potential is sky high. But if you're choosing to be a twisty-turny mystery box lost wannabe when it could be a character-focused sci-fi Game of Thrones, it has turned me from a fan full of anticipation to a sceptical viewer who is only likely to watch the next season because I feel like I have to rather than out of any desire, which I'm really disappointed by that. Just that I was really enjoyed season one, such high hopes, so much potential, basically did everything I didn't want it to do in this new season. (laughs) No, I I completely agree with that. And I think once I'd finished this season, I thought to myself, maybe this would be a good show to watch when like the entire series is complete and you can kind of like hide up in a house somewhere and just like watch the story as a whole. Maybe that would be more satisfying because you're getting your answers. You know that there is an end point. You're not getting frustrated with the ridiculous pacing and time jump trickiness that they're trying to do like you know satisfaction is going to come but this season it was just all of that and I feel like we are in the middle point of our story that it's just like where can you find satisfaction in that like it's for me it was incredibly hard and it didn't really come yeah the I've even like I like last season um, I was able to listen to Decoding Westworld. So this is Joanna Robertson and David Chen's sort of accompanying podcast where they sort of break down it episode by episode and and talk about and stuff like that. I found that helpful this season still, and especially the last episode, found tying up... They did a good job of tying up the sort of the ongoing thematic threads and making some of the things I found problematic make a bit more sense. But again, a lot of that came because they had information from watching the commentaries, or not the commentaries, the interviews and the making ofs and stuff like that, which, sorry, I, as much as that makes it make sense, also I lose points. Like you lose points for not putting in the actual show. Particularly but, if you're given an hour every week. Yeah, you're given so much time. Stuff that the audience needs to make sense of the narrative is bizarre. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And then, and then even just talking within the show, being able to tie things back into early episodes... If if I need to be listening to an accompanying podcast to get that point, <laughs> not just to clarify things that might find confusing, but to make any of it make sense, then you've your storytelling's bad. And the big question has to be, is there narrative trickery worth it for the confusion and frustration it causes? And flat out, no. no. I would give <laughs> anything to see them just try to tell this simply and straightforward. Focus on the characters rather than trying to be cool and twisty and see what happens. Because I reckon there's probably a good show in there. I reckon the actors have a better time performing it because they might ha- might understand from episode to episode what the fuck they were doing even mm. and what they were aiming for. 
I don't know. I just I would love yeah. to see that version of the show. Thing is, like they obscure the show's narrative so much yeah. that you no longer even understand the story that they're meant to be telling. You're like, well, what what are we really exploring here? Because I've spent nine hours not understanding what we're yeah. talking about. Exactly. So what is the point? Yeah. It's like, you know, a smashed mirror might be cool to look at, but the image that I'm looking at makes less sense to me. I don't care mm-hmm. that you fractured this narrative up if I can't tell what the fuck I'm looking at anymore. Yeah. Congratulations on being tricky. You've made me not care. <laughs> yeah. What is your final score for this season out of five, Damask? Um, look, the show is beautiful and there are, there's really one character I care about. Um, I think I'm going to give it a three, I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna I think give that's it a, pretty fair. I'm going to give it a 2.5. Mm-hmm. It, it fits squarely in the middle because there are great episodes in there mm-hmm. or at least good episodes. There are some... Really, actually, there's there are some really great moments that I'm looking forward to talking about. Yeah. But they are few and far between. The show is beautiful. It is ambitious. I'll give it that. But it is so frustrating mm-hmm. to watch. I'm like I'm tempted to give it a two, but it's a it's better than a two. It's a it's, give it a middle score. It's that you average at best. This show. It's yeah. <laughs> Should our listeners go and watch this season? Or should they should they be able to keep listening to our uh, spoiler discussion without fear? Oh, I mean, it depends how much you want to punish yourself, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I give it a shot, and if you get, I don't know, three episodes in, and you're like, "Fuck this," then I don't know, just listen to the podcast after that. But I'm kind know. of the same thing. I think try it out. Maybe you'll like it more than me. You know, your mileage may vary. Personally, I don't think the story has a good enough payoff to warrant even being too careful. So, give it a go. And if you're not yeah. loving it and you just want to sort of sort of hear our thoughts on it or, or get into a deep dive discussion with spoilers, you're not going to miss that much, yeah. honestly. I, I would be very surprised if anyone at the end of the season was like, oh my gosh, that makes it all worthwhile. Fuck, that was cool. I don't 100%. think that's anyone's reaction. So, I wouldn't be worried about that. I think that's potentially true of season one is not true of season two. Wait, what? I think it's true of season one. Season oh, yeah, one no, yeah, totally. has a yeah. big enough reveal mm-hmm. that it made, because we had similar frustration with season one, sort of like not being as obscure as this, but but being tricky and having hard mm-hmm. to place things and know exactly what was going on. But then the clarity that came or what it was trying to do made sense and the reveal was good enough yeah. that you were like, oh, okay, that was worth the magic trick. And I think we had a few moments of being like, oh, wow, that was, that was really cool that my confusion it feels justified that like you created confusion in my brain in order to surprise me or do this within the narrative in a really cool, interesting way. That that was not my experience this time. Yeah, 100% agreed. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, I think that's enough. Let's get into uh, our spoiler deep dive discussion. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning, on this episode we will be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 and 2 of Westworld. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Westworld up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution, there are spoilers ahead, you have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. I'm going to do this crazy thing and tell you this story in a way that progresses from one stage to another in a single series of steps, sequentially. And yes, I did just copy and paste the definition of linear because I am a fan of simplicity, unlike the creators of Westworld. A while ago, Logan and William were out on a boys' night. Before they got to bang some hot babes, William leaves to spoon his soon-to-be wife slash soon-to-be dead wife. Logan is left to have an incredible night with some sexy robots as part of an attempt by Ford and Arnold to get Dallas to invest. Meanwhile, Dolores and Arnold are having either a romantic tour of his new pad or a nice father-daughter bonding time. I don't know, I still haven't quite figured out that dynamic yet. After William has his come to Lucifer moment from season one, he shows Jim Dallas the park and reveals its full potential. They can harvest information from every single person that visits Westworld. Jim is pretty keen on that idea, so he agrees. Also around this time, Jim finds out he's dying and looks into turning his consciousness into data so he can live forever with a new host body. Totally normal business stuff. The beta version of Westworld hits a little speed bump when Arnold creates Wyatt who shoots him in the old brain nest. I only mention this event from Season 1 because this is when everyone's new favourite character, Akichita, wanders into the crime scene. There he discovers the maze and he wakes up. He becomes obsessed with it, he draws it everywhere, and then he is transformed into the frightening leader of the Ghost Nation to satiate the guest's desire for two-dimensional savages they can kill with no remorse. Anthony Hopkins, I I mean Ford, creates a new BFF with the help of Dolores, who knew Arnold pretty darn well. They do this in the Forge, which is just a big, juicy server. Ford and Dolores make a few alterations to Arnold's personality in order to make a version of him that is a little more resilient. And that's how we get Bernard. Akichita discovers Logan losing his mind in the desert. He's babbling on about the world being false and that there is another one, which Akichita discovers being built on the edges of the park. He rides back home to pick up his lady love so they can escape together and be free. They're having a great time, just chilling by fires and making their way to the promised land. But unfortunately, Dallas Security finds his wife Kohana and they take her away. Akichita is pretty devo about this and spends a solid decade wandering the park looking for her. He realises she's probably not on this plane of existence, so he gets himself killed. When he's back at HQ getting poked and prodded by staff, he takes advantage of his wokeness and goes for a wander around the facility after hours. He finds cold storage and his decommissioned wife. I'll pause for a moment so we can reflect on how much we each wept at that scene. 
and Akichita, because he is the fucking best, realises that the pain he's feeling isn't only his. He spreads the word once more about another world and what has happened to all the people that have disappeared. He's truly doing the Lord's work. Jim Delos eventually dies and is turned into a beta-human-slash-host hybrid. Delos, with William now the head, run him through countless tests. William's pretty stoked with everything he's done and shows Dolores a sneaky preview of things to come. Fast forward a little to when William becomes Ed Harris, he is a high-flying businessman who loves his wife and daughter. Well, that's what it seems like. Sadly, his wife is a miserable alcoholic thanks in large part to him being a bit of a psycho and dead inside. This all culminates one night when Ford gifts William his personality profile, which William then leaves in a book. Sure. His wife discovers this and finds out the depths of his depravity. She takes a bunch of pills and dies. He finds out his wife and daughter were always pretty scared of him, so he commits to his life in the park, hoping to feel something. He goes around raping and pillaging. One particular day, he terrorises a woman and her child. That woman is, of course, the hero of this tale, Maeve. Before this, though, Maeve and her daughter were under the watchful eye and protection of Akichita. Maeve always assumed malice and never heeded his warnings or understood what the maze represented. Yeah, you and me both, buddy. Akichita is out spreading the gospel as usual when he stumbles upon Ford playing with his toys. Ford is pretty stoked to meet such a cool dude and tells him to take everyone to the promised land when Dolores kills him. Then we have everything that happened in Season 1. Moving on. So Dolores and her man meet Teddy, kill a bunch of guests and board members. It's war. Bernard is leaking brain juice thanks to the bullet to the head from last season. He's glitching worse than every PC I have ever owned. And that is truly saying something because I treated them like pieces of shit. But Bernard can't be doing too badly since he makes it out of the gala thingy alive, with Charlotte Hale by his side. They head to one of the many underground bunkers scattered around the park and try to get an extraction team to swoop in and save them. But no one is coming until they have possession of Dolores' dad, who apparently is walking around with all the information from the park. Like, all of it? No wonder he's so befuddled. Charlotte and Bernie do find him, but it's a little dangerous thanks to some maniacal hosts. So Charlotte pisses off and Bernard and Abernathy are captured by confederados. The man in black is wandering around the park with a permanent erection thanks to his love of games and murder. Ford tells him that they're going to play a game that is about a door or something. So William finds Lawrence and saves him and then they go adventuring together. It's kind of like a fun buddy cop film, except one of the characters keeps talking in riddles about ambiguous judgement and fixing his greatest mistake. Wait, is this future host William being tested? No, that doesn't make sense, does it? No, no, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. I'm putting this here in the story because it's too much otherwise, okay? Anyway, the man in black's daughter is in the park. She really digs hunting animals in colonial India, but she seems to be taking an awful lot of notes. Most likely, she's into puzzles like her dad. She doesn't have the greatest time when a host tries to kill her, and then she's forced to recreate Life of Pi in the valley. Dolores and Teddy grow weary of plain old murder, and now they're keen to head to some mysterious weapon that Dolores promises can destroy the humans. I love how everyone speaks incredibly vaguely in Westworld. It isn't obfuscating for the sake of it at all. Maeve is still at the Mesa, and she runs into my least favourite character in this show, Lee Sizemore. You remember the really obnoxious skis rider from season one? 
Yeah, they have decided to team him up with the best character. Look, I'm sure it's an attempt to make him likeable through his growing relationship with Maeve. Spoiler alert, it doesn't work for me at all. Anyway, she also teams up with Hector and Felix and Armistice and also that other human guy that I hate and doesn't really deserve a name. Uh, I think his name's Garfield or something. They journey through Middle-earth to get to Maeve's daughter and they come across a strange town called Shogun World. There they meet their Japanese counterparts. Hilarity ensues as there is a lot of stabbing and rescue missions to save innocent women from sexual servitude. Maeve also discovers that she is Neo and can control those around her. She uses those powers to obliterate her enemies and save a village from some evil dude. She then continues on her journey with her crew, plus one new addition who never says a word and has no real narrative purpose. Anyway, Dolores is recruiting her army when Bernard and Abernathy rock up. She's pretty upset at the state of her father. Then Charlotte Hale and her minions arrive to take Abernathy back. There's a battle. Dolores uses the men as cannon fodder, something that Teddy has a bit of an issue with. But Charlotte wins anyway and gets Abernathy's brain gems. During the battle, Bernard is clobbered in the head and dragged to a hovel by Clementine. Inside this little nest is a sleeping Elsie. Apparently, she's been chilling out there since Bernard bopped her on the head. She's not very happy with Bernard, but she's kind of keen to check out the state of things. They travel down a couple of floors to a secret bunker. They say a quick hello and goodbye to crazy Jim Dallos, who is living down there. Then they head back to the Mesa so they can figure out what is going on. Dolores has stumbled upon a train and beckons her henchmen to repair it so she can get to the good place. Teddy voices his concerns about Dolores' methods. She doesn't really care for this and so she messes with his attributes and makes him a cold-blooded killing machine. Also, Maeve finds her old homestead and it does not go well. Firstly, she finds a new replacement mother because, duh, and then the girl doesn't really know who she is. And then a Kijita comes to save them, but Maeve freaks the fuck out because the plot needs her to, I guess. Dolores and her army drive a train into the Mesa as a giant battering ram. She's come to get her papa. She's pretty distraught when she discovered that he's been nailed to a chair while the humans are tinkering with his brain. She gets pretty annoyed with Charlotte and almost kills her. But she doesn't because apparently it's very easy to be distracted even though you have your greatest enemy in front of you, but whatever. Bernard and Elsie are playing around in the cradle. Bernard wants to know what programming is in there that's stopping the humans from regaining control. And surprise, it's Ford playing his tricks as per usual. Ford then takes away Bernard's free will and makes him kill a couple of dudes. They really are the best of friends. Emily is roaming the plains of Westworld to find her dad, and she does. He's kind of suspicious of her, but before anything is resolved, they're shepherded to the same place that Maeve is. She uses her new Neo powers to attack the man in black. It's awesome. And just when I thought I'd get some satisfaction, the park's security arrived to ruin all the fun. Oh, and who can I thank for that? Hmm. Oh, Sizemore. Because apparently he still hasn't grown a heart. The security team take Maeve away to the Mesa and strap her to a table. They start experimenting on her after Sizemore tells them that she can control other hosts. He gets very teary about what's happening to Maeve. Yeah, you should be way more upset since it's all your fault. I have zero pity for you and your tears, dickhead. Akichita manages to pick up the people that the security force couldn't. That includes Maeve's daughter and William. 
Akichita has a chat to Maeve's daughter, also we think, really is having a good old chinwag with Maeve herself. It's awesome and the best part of this season by far. Emily comes to interrupt the story though and pick up her dad. He's in pretty bad shape and so she sticks a couple of band-aids on his gaping wounds. They have some bonding time, but it's cut short by William's insane paranoia. So he shoots Emily. Bam! Dead. He's going to have to spend a lot of money on therapy to resolve those issues, I think. Dolores and Teddy have left the Mesa and are now heading to the Forge. Okay, Teddy is a little upset with his new schematics, so he decides to blow his brains out rather than spend one more second with boring Dolores. I personally don't blame him. Dolores cries for a bit and then she rides off, happening upon William. They team up, but only for like a second. They arrive at the forge to see Bernard, who has deleted Ford from his brain and abandoned Elsie somewhere, I think. I think that's what's happened. Um, William then shoots Dolores a bunch of times and then the gun explodes in his hand. So Bernard and Dolores skip over to the forge without him. That's all good. Great stuff. Um, Akichitar is heading to the same place with his church group. That's pretty exciting. The valley beyond is opened up. It's really just an access point to a virtual world where the hosts can be happy and they just start jumping off a cliff like lemmings. Clementine is filled with a bad case of the Mondays by Charlotte and as she rides through the crowd of hosts, they all become very grumpy and murdery. Maeve stops them for just long enough for her daughter, Akichita, and a third of all the hosts to be uploaded into the new world. Then she dies. Oh, R.I.P. Maeve. Down in the forge, Dolores uses her dad's brain gem as a key to get into the facility and her and Bernard walk around for a bit. Computer program Logan tells them that humans are pretty dull, actually, and Dolores decides to destroy it all. So Bernard then shoots her in the head, woo, but not before she manages to flood the whole place. So Bernard wakes up on a beach and is taken back to HQ, you'll remember that from the beginning of the season, I'm sure. Um, while back at the Mesa, Elsie tells Bernard that he's not particularly trustworthy, um, but maybe Charlotte is. So she goes to have a little discussion with her boss. Um, things do go awry when Elsie ends up with a bullet in her brain. R.I.P. Elsie. Uh, Bernard watched the whole thing and now he's on a mission to save the hosts. Which I guess he always was, I don't know. But either way, he's pretty sad about Elsie and that kind of wakes him up, so that's cool. So he then creates a replica of Charlotte Hale and then he puts Dolores' brain gem into her and then Dolores kills the real Charlotte and takes over her life. Ooh. It's discovered by everyone that Bernard is a host after they find a bunch of his naked bodies lying in Ford's old basement. I wonder what he was doing with them. Dolores interrogates him while pretending to be Charlotte. He confesses to Abernathy's drive being at the forge so they all go there. While there, Dolores kills the whole security team because it was a ruse to get them all there. Dolores then also kills Bernard, but she takes his brain to the mainland. She builds him a new body and leaves him in Arnold's old house. I guess we'll wait for season three to find out what happens next. But if there are any more time jump tricks, I'm out, you guys. I'm fucking out. Because this was a nightmare. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. All right, I want to start by talking about I had two two prayers, two things I asked for at the end of season one. Mm-hmm. Number one, I hoped 
that they would move away from complicated non-linear storytelling and build <laughs> a long-term narrative. They did not do this. Um, uh... the, one, of the, one of the things I wanted to say about earlier in the, in the spoiler-free section but didn't quite want to give too much away was that the the first season pulls off a magic trick with the William is the Man in Black reveal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They pulled it, a man of uh, man in black out of a hat. It was correct. quite beautiful. Out of, yeah. a, out, of a, out of a Stetson, right? <laughs> what the problem is every time you do that trick, it gets less and less impressive. Mm-hmm. And to keep trying to do that trick is a complete and utter mistake. And they kept, they, they did it. Not only this whole season was like this, they keep trying to do it. Over and 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 over again. And it's a waste of time every time. Once you've mm. shown me the magic trick once, don't keep showing it to me. It's boring and I start to see how the, how it works every time. Yeah, I, I agree that it's it's certainly boring to reiterate the same trick from season one. To, to do that, The choice to do that is bizarre in and of itself in my brain. But also what doesn't work is that the confusion that we experience or the twists and turns... Um, or the trickiness that we have in season one has a narrative purpose. It is that season is about the awakening of the character Dolores mm-hmm. and finding herself through confusion. So we are sent on that journey with her. And I think that's kind of a really cool way to structure it. This season, they have decided, oh, we're going to have crazy time thingies because. Bernard needed to mash up his memories to hide the truth from the humans. Like, it's not even based in heart the way that season one was in which Dolores is finding herself. This is just kind of Bernard and Ford playing tricks on the humans to get away with stuff and then we find out in the last, I don't know, 15 minutes and that's why we've been so confused the whole time. Yeah. Like, it's just not on the same level. No, you're 100% right. It is, it's a, yeah, they justify it by making it, it's a thing that had to happen. Yeah, it's exactly right. You know, it's not, it doesn't come from a place of character or discovery or growth. It comes from this thing happens because we needed it to happen. And, oh, that's a good enough reason to to mix the narrative up again. Like, like yes, Bernard does have his, his sort of awakening. He has his bicameral mind moment the same way Dolores did, where he finds out that Ford the Ford in his head in the last episode anyway, was his own voice. Mm. But even that doesn't come about this, yeah, with the same way or the same... Again, it's the same magic trick. You're pulling the same fucking rabbit out of that hat again. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Ford, that was the one other thing I asked for and said, please don't do. Do <laughs> not bring Ford back. That's all I wanted. I was... As soon as I saw that freaking greyhound, I was like, fuck you, show. Fuck you <laughs> so much. What, okay, so what what about that specifically bothers you to bring Ford back in that way? The problem this show already has is that I struggle constantly with the concept of death when it comes to the hosts, right? And they do a thing in this episode, or in this season, I should say, where they kill off their backups, right? They destroy mm-hmm. their backups. Yeah. And they sort of start to say, oh, from here on out, anyone who dies is actually dead. And I was like, that's a good change. But even that's not necessarily 100% true. This is the thing, right? There are... They have built into the narrative and the rules are so vague and you constantly feel like they could always undo anything they've done previously that I wanted just one thing to matter. 
right? I wanted one person's death. And Ford dying at the end of season one is so important and symbolic about him letting go of the his control of the narrative and letting the hosts take over because it was their time. That's why Ford dies. He has mm. done what he set to do. His story is over. Let the mm-hmm. host take over. Fuck no. He had to have... We have to retcon that Bernard made a little fucking chestnut that's a Ford brain and put it in the cradle or whatever the fuck it's called. And he was there the whole time, still manipulating the narrative from the grave. Which, I have to say, from a character point of view is a good argument as to what Ford is really about. That Ford could never actually let go of the narrative. That he is so obsessed with his narratives and his storyline that he would never actually let go completely. Right? Mm. Great. That's a great point on Ford. But Ford is not the character I care about anymore. Right? Just, they should have left him out of the story and let Dolores and Bernard and Maeve and the man in black, William have their stories because they should be strong enough to, to, to keep propulsing the story forward mm-hmm. without Ford having to be involved <coughs> at all. Yeah, That's no. what frustrated me. It was just Fair another point. way of, of making death not permanent on this show again. <laughs> Frustrate the fuck out of me. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, my frustration with, I guess, the Ford and Bernard thing was it was just another barrier up in my from in my desire to want to get to know Bernard as a being, I still feel like I don't really understand him. One, because either it seems like Ford is speaking for him or he doesn't have any control, so I, I can't get to know him that way. Or he's just so confused that he's just like this blind, mute child stumbling around the wilderness. It's like, it, this, it's like Bernard should have been the character to carry this season like we this is a real opportunity he's the one who was closest to Ford you know I think certainly more so than Dolores was and so this can be a way of yes also looking at Ford and his behavior because that's certainly a part of Bernard but just getting to know him as a singular character would have been really interesting and we don't get the opportunity to do that this season it's a real waste of a great acting talent mm. to have them just stumbling around being confused. Um, and because Bernard's played by Jeffrey Wright, who is a great actor. And he gets a couple of moments, I think in the finale of the last two episodes, where he actually gets to emote for a second and be a person. There's a line yeah. where he's like, get out of my fucking head. I was like, oh my God, that was emotion there for a second. Because he has spent the rest of this entire season just stumbling around, looking confused and asking questions. And that is not a character. There's not anything. No. So frustrating. I wanted to sort of go through this, trying to just go through the main storylines, not in any great detail, but maybe just some of the, the points about them and see what we thought about them. Starting mm-hmm. with Bernard, actually, so that's fine. Bernard is retracing his memories from the beach in the present, um, then back to the gala from the end of season one, then with Hale, then with uh, Elsie, then with Ford, and then with Dolores to the Forge, just jumping from different people to different people, being confused mm. and bumbling his way through things, sort of half remembering things as he goes along. Um, and that's sort of what his his arc ultimately is becoming his own person, but he doesn't really seem to have a lot of drive apart from just being confused throughout the whole thing. He doesn't really have a goal Throughout my, was there, am I missing? Am I forgetting something? What was his goal this season? Was he no, trying you're to? Totally achieve- right. That that's what's so frustrating with the way that they've chosen to tell this story, is that even if Bernard does have a goal that 
you and I are not aware of. We are unaware of it because it's not within the text. We yeah. are never told what it is. All we know is that he's confused. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what's going on. That is in the text. That's all there is. And it's so frustrating. How, yeah, how can like one of your like main characters, your one of your like main protagonists not have any purpose at mm. all except to be carried around from set to set. It's so infuriating. Ultimately, his purpose is just to shoot Dolores in the head at the end <laughs> and then get killed by Dolores and then be brought back to life by Dolores in the new world. And he's got, and since then has gained consciousness or he is woke or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Yay. Fuck, we took a weird way of getting roundabout, totally bullshit way of getting there. Anyway. Yeah. One of the storylines I did like from the Bernard side of things, sort of, it's also the William side of things, though, is the stuff going on with Jim Delos when they, uh, the episode is called, I think it's the Puzzle of the Sphinx or the Riddle of the Sphinx, I think it's called, where Mm. um, we find out that they've sort of been trying to create this artificial mind and body for Jim Delos and have been testing him with this fidelity test for decades, basically, for the last three decades or so. And it ends with um, Elsie and um, Bernard finding this test chamber where he has got been mad and has gone mad for who knows how long, how many years. Um, That was a great episode, I thought. Had some really great ideas in it. And I really loved... Um, that that was of all the times I talk about there not being stakes. One of the things I kept thinking was, if you're going to make death not something that's at stake here, maybe there's something else. And seeing this sort of artificial AI go fucking insane, cuckoo bananas. I was like, now that is something. If these things can't seem to die because nothing dies in this episode, mm. maybe making them go completely crazy and corrupt and just insane is an option. And that gave me some hope for a second. There was They had somewhere to go with, with this. I don't know. What did you think about that stuff? I mean, I loved that episode, the Riddle of the Sphinx, because um, it was kind of using characters to explore ideas which I think is when this show is at its best instead of just being tricky so I loved that episode and I think it's kind of while yes I agree the kind of immortality around these AI beings does remove a lot of stakes I like the idea of adding the stake of oh well if you have this endless life but you know you're not quite right or not quite what you thought yourself to be what kind of madness would that draw out of you yeah that could be really interesting cool so you know they didn't really explore that beyond um jim dallas but yeah no it, it could have been a really cool concept and how that could have kind of s- spoken to um bernard fuck i keep forgetting these boring white men names yeah so. no. <laughs> <laughs> i was having that problem as well like is it william J- mm. jim james uh bill <laughs> there's so many the howard the the way this then goes on is we find out that similar to the Jim Dallas experiment where um, we find out that the, so the park was always just one big test um, that was used to profile each guest. So they were trying to build the profile of Jim Dallas. Every guest who ever went to the park was being profiled. The park 
were always stayed the same. It didn't change very much because it was the control. It couldn't change too much because the test had to stay constant, which I thought was a really interesting idea. And I liked how that sort of explained why Shogun World um, was so similar to Westworld as well. Mm. I think um, the writer guy, uh, Sizemore, sort of said, oh, yeah, I just cribbed things from the other place. But I like the explanation that, well, it had to be similar because we were trying to do a similar thing. So while it's set in a different world, it had to be a different... Um, that to be a, a similar sort of control environment. Mm. And the idea that Westworld is Facebook and Cambridge Analytica in the way that our data and how our personalities attract online are being used against us, I thought was a really cool angle. Um, mm. Even if, once again, this idea of having these profiles was never really fully explained what the power of these things would be. We get a vague idea that Dolores is going to use it to like understand human beings so she control people maybe. But, like, is she going to do that by making artificial people and then converting, like, having them take over the real people in positions of power? What was exactly was um, Hale wanting to do with this information? Was it just to sell immortality to them? Was it to control people? It was never really given any weight or explanation. That frustrated me. I don't know. Yeah, I kept waiting for, I guess, the reveal of what, the plan was because like you know throughout the season we're told you know we're going to the valley beyond or we're going to the door or like all these very you know dramatic names and things that people are going to you know these MacGuffins that we're meant to care about and I kept kind of wanting the reveal to be like the MacGuffin is actually something that we all care about um and I, I never got that, though. It was always just like, there's a vague plan. There is a plan that maybe Hale is privy to, or certain people are privy to, or Dolores knows, but at no point are we, the audience, allowed to know what it is. And therefore, it has no stakes because I don't care about the thing I'm not told about. There was a time, there was a point where Bernard said something to Elsie. I think he, he said, we have to finish Ford's narrative. And I'm like, do you and why? <laughs> like, do, I don't understand why you need to be doing any of that. Why the fuck aren't you just walking out the door and getting the fuck out of here? Like, mm. why are you sticking around? I don't understand. I don't understand what's at stake, so I don't know what you're fighting for because I don't believe that you know what's at stake or what you're fighting for. Mm. Damas, could you try and explain to me what the Dolores and Teddy storyline was this season? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. Yep. Um... Okay, so when I was watching, I think maybe the first three episodes, because episode four is the Jim Dallas one, right? Yes. Pretty sure that's right. Yeah. So <laughs> as I was watching it and I was, oh God, was my heart slowly breaking. Oh, so I was I'm like, so with are you. they actually destroying the character of Dolores in the sense that not that she's doing bad things, but that she's fucking boring about it. That I was just like the entire time I was like, Oh my God, she's fuck. What's his, what's the Marvel villain from Guardians of the Galaxy? Ronan, the Uh, Ronan, the accuser. accuser. I was like, fuck, she's just a Marvel villain. She's Ronan, the accuser. I was like, there is, she's one note. She's like, I'm, I'm righteous. I am just a computer stuck in righteous mode. Oh no. Like that's and that's all it was and I was so bored. And then I was like, okay, so if Dolores's MacGuffin thing is this valley beyond um uh, maybe at some point we'll explore that righteousness. It will kind of fall away a little bit. 
And then it's like, I think we got to like the third hour of the show and I was like, oh, I don't think they're going to do that with Dolores at all. Maybe this is going to be the journey of Teddy and seeing how Dolores is stuck in this like righteous anger mode that he's going to, his humanity is going to, going to come forth and he's going to have such clarity in his sight of her and be like, I'm going to go on my own path because what this is, no matter like how much I love you, it, it's not right. It's not cohesive with who I am as a person. That didn't really happen either. Um, he did so, have a dramatic moment where he did the best thing he could. Like, well, okay, not the best he thing let he could him have go. done. He shot himself to remove oh, yeah. himself from the equation, basically. But this that- is something that the show does, though, is that we get hints of a cool story that could be hinged in great character moments. Mm. And I'm thinking of Sizemore when I'm also thinking of the Teddy storyline in which they have this big moment at the end of that character's story. Yeah. But the journey to get there was so bland. Yeah. Was so lacking in feeling of poignancy that when we get to that final moment, I'm like, fuck, what a waste of a character. Yeah. Like if you want to take them somewhere interesting, make the journey interesting, not just that end point where they just die. Like death is not enough to cr- like it's to cultivate emotion. when I'm not convinced they're even going to stay dead. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't help. You're right. You're absolutely right there. So to answer your question about the Dolores and Teddy storyline, I'm not really sure. I mean... <sighs> I, I understand that it was probably meant to be a catalyst for Dolores to change certain viewpoints, but like because she is so isolated, I can't I can't understand her internal logic at all because I don't know what she's doing, why she's doing it, because she has no one to talk to, yep. and she certainly doesn't emote in the way that I can register what she's feeling. So it's just like, how am I meant to penetrate that at all? Sorry, are we being too negative? I don't know. but I, just... I, I, I don't think we are because I think the show, we're going to get to the bits that are good, I'm sure. But this is okay. overriding. My overriding feelings are that are very negative about mm. what the show just, it, it confounds me the path it's taken. So, I'll give an example, right? The Dolores and T storyline. Yes, Dolores is heading to the Ford, the Valley Beyond or whatever to get a weapon because she's going to take the mainland essentially. And she wants the... the robots or the host to take over the world because they deserve to take over because humans made them suffer. The motivation I understand. The problem is, and this is apparently, I'm getting this secondhand, but from what I understand from an interview, it was explained, I think it was Lisa Joy explained, that the reason Dolores is sort of so one note this season is because when women are put in leadership positions, especially in the military, they have to have this like mask without any doubt, right? They constantly have to show that they are certain and have no weakness, otherwise they're not going to be taken seriously. Which, you know, that's an interesting idea. However, in a television show where you want me to connect with a character, you have made someone who, who beginning with, is a programmed robot and made them act like a program programmed robot with one drive and no doubt and no thought process actually going into it. And I can't, if I can't get inside her head, she's not a character to me. And she's certainly not equatable to a human being. That also doesn't really work because, so she's got these like zombie people that don't care that she's a woman and that she needs to be strong and tough to follow her. And then she seems to convince people around her pretty quickly that she's very capable. And even if they decide to turn on her, she just kills them and turns them into the kind of zombie followers anyway. So that... 
very human thing of because of Western culture, the belief around women being the weaker sex, um, not being as certain or um, have the natural inclination to lead, I'm, I'm not really sure how that translates into hosts and suddenly hosts becoming awake and aware of themselves or why that would be a part of Dolores's story when because we don't see that moment of her being like oh I have to be strong because of these reasons exactly right it, yeah it, it doesn't really track for me at all that exactly reason. you've given us nothing to like she just does she brings people back from the dead and has other people kill people and like she has all these other ways of flexing her muscles and getting power she's a fucking god in this world in a lot of ways mm-hmm. people seem to follow her blindly anyway and the problem is, you're telling a story first, like fucking have a quiet moment with Teddy or someone. Yeah. Is it Angela? Is that the name of the host? Um, the like the the welcoming host, uh, um, the remember. one who blows herself up in the cradle later, which was an unnecessary death. Yeah, um, I can't remember. yeah. She is a she just seems to be a drone. Um, I think um, Clementine's there for a lot of it. She's a fucking drone. Mm. Teddy doesn't like it, but he follows Dolores because he's in love with her. So, he's a fucking drone. He's the only one who makes some dif- different decisions. He's the one who secretly lets people go. And then Dolores yeah. makes him a fucking robot too. Mm. Which might be the best character moment that she has in this whole season is just choosing to change Teddy. Yeah. But I don't see... There's not enough of her doubt or her well, struggling with that. That's the we thing. see like- looks. Joy can say that, you know, the motivation for making Dolores the way she is is because of women in, you know, military leadership roles, they have to do that. But this, the story there is not the fact that they Won't are perceived to be strong and stoic. The story yeah. is that they shouldn't have to, that, that, that stoicism has an emotional price. That's what makes that story interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's not just the facade they put up because that's just, that's boring and that's not an actual story. I don't feel like I need Westworld to try and replicate real world like that anyway and go, oh, we did it for realism because that's how women have to lead the military when we're living on a fucking robot cowboy land. Like, (laughs) is that really the realism hill you want to die on? Is that the, (laughs) is that the thing? Can Can you also explain to me is there any narrative explanation at all for why some of Dolores's like soldiers wear those black face mask things? Yeah. So in the story, um, the costume designer was like, oh, I've got a cool idea. <laughs> That's what that was. <laughs> There's no th- reason for that. I think it was. My guess, it was like, we need to try and make these people faceless because if you can identify them from other people, you might think they're meant to be characters and they're not meant to be characters. They're meant to be just fodder. Yeah. But there's well, I mean, no- because oh. Khaleesi, when she was getting her army, like she got those cool eunuch guys. So the people at HBO were like, well, Dolores is kind of the Khaleesi of Westworld. So she- when she's gathering her army, like let's make them look distinct and cool, guys. And that's why we have those masked dudes. All right, let's move on to the uh, William storyline. William, the man in black, is trying to find the door or basically whatever Ford's new game was. So, the door, (laughs) this goes along with the cradle, the forge, the valor beyond as these... (laughs) Just give something a normal name. Why does everything have to sound so ominous? It just needs a the on the front of it. The (laughs) maze, the door, the It's like in 2005 when every band that came out was the something. The something. 
Um, how do you feel about this storyline? But what well, what happens here? He's he at the end of the last season. He's in. He gets what he wants. Westworld can finally kill him. It's actually a place with stakes for him. And Ford has told him there's a final game for him. It's the door. It's basically to. There's a, the door. It means something. There's something waiting there for him. He knows where it is. He's on his way to get there. And all these obstacles are put in his way. Kind of. Like these tests, maybe. <laughs> that that maybe Ford's up for him. It's kind of vague and hard to tell exactly what is going on there. Until his daughter, Emily, shows up. Who we meet in a pretty cool sequence involving the Raj. One of the uh-huh. new worlds that we get yeah. in, introduced to for one scene. Um <laughs> And then she ends up in the in the park when all this shit's going down and they meet up and we get to learn a bit more about William and what happened between young William and Dolores when before the park opened or when the park first opened 30 years ago and mm-hmm. William the Man in Black today and sort of his life outside the park and his relationship with his wife and daughter. How did you feel about this side of things? I really liked all the flashback stuff. I found that really, really good and compelling. God, do I not give a shit about Man in Black in the Park and his fucking mission about something to do with judgment and he doesn't think it's a fair judgment and blah, blah, blah. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't find it interesting. He is another character that is completely one note, doesn't really have any attachment to anyone, like true attachment to anyone. We see Lawrence kind of attempt some kind of buddy relationship, but... Man in Black is just so boring to me. That's why I like the flashback stuff because we kind of get, you know, we have his wife who I can't, I can't remember the actress's name but who is incredible and brings some real human emotion to a scene, which is fabulous. We get experiences with his daughter, which is great. But as for the Man in Black himself, I am bored. What were your thoughts? I similarly, especially for the vast majority of the season found, especially Man in Black present day to be just like, what are we doing? What is this quest? I understand this game that Ford's on. Admittedly, by episode nine, the reveal of sort of his paranoia, this understanding that he is convinced unrealistically that everything is designed for him, Mm. that he is being persecuted, that he has this... um, this me- essentially a mental disorder, like he is struggling with this psychosis, made him much more interesting to me. That episode nine went a long way to help me give a shit about him, yes. especially when he fucking kills his daughter, <laughs> yeah. which was shocking as fuck. And for me, was possibly the highlight, the big- best moment of the entire show. Where I was like, oh my God, something's fucking happening finally. Mm. Can I just say that? I totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Episode nine, bit fucking late, but go on. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm 100 <laughs> agree with you. That it was too late. Yeah, but it. But it was good. Yeah, it helped me to give a shit about the Man in Black. Finally, the problem was this should have been building over the course of a season with some context to help us get there, mm. with the idea that he had possibly been, maybe accused of being um, paranoid, and but also believing that maybe his belief that the park was all made for him was true. So we didn't know which side of the fence it was on. And then to find him kill his daughter be the moment you go, oh no, he's fucking, he's a loony. He's right? lost it. Yeah, He's lost it completely. But instead yep. that moment all happens in season, episode nine and we've spent the whole rest of the season just wondering what the fuck is he doing? Mm-hmm. And why is he doing it? Coming back to the main floor of this season is that we spend nine hours being like, what is that person doing? But what is what are they doing? 
what's anyone's motivation? Oh, we don't know until like the ninth hour. It's absurd. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I love that moment, though. I love the him trying to hopefully find out that he's a host. He's digging around his arm looking for that cord that Bernard has. Oh, that has. made me feel sick. That Yeah, it's gross. But, like, just... he, I think he's saying to himself, like, if I'm a host, then none of these actions were mine. Therefore, it's not my fault. I, was, I had to go down this path. I was programmed this way. That sort of um, desperation is very sad. And mm. I really enjoyed getting the character that place. But like you said, it came too late. Um, some things we find along the way, though. <laughs> In episode nine, we have the flashback to... <laughs> there's a scene. It's the it's the night of, I think, Juliet kills herself. And before they leave this like fundraiser, this dinner or whatever, Ford's there at the bar. Because, of course, Ford's there. And I don't mind Ford there being in a flashback, by the way. If you're going to bring Ford back, a flashback is fine with me. I don't mind that. Add some context to the characters in the past. Just don't have any influence the in them now. Sorry? Are you going to talk about the line? Is the, that what this the is The line. <laughs> no, William. I think perhaps one final game, which he says to himself. And it's, it's like, awful. it's so awful. And I was just, yeah. this is a joke, right? How can anyone, how can any writer or director or actor in Sir Anthony Hopkins not be self-aware that this is ridiculous? Yeah. I mean, there are a few, I mean, yeah, probably more than a few, like, truly terrible lines that are just so awkward and like kind of like ham-fisted and just like oh why would you put that you don't need to say that to me or to anyone um I remember one being um Charlotte Hale is like in like one of those buggies and they're driving towards um the forge and she's just and I'm paraphrasing here but I feel like my paraphrase is going to be actually better than the line (laughs) but she's just like (laughs) hurry we have to get them before they get us. And I was just like, yeah, we know. <laughs> we know that. And also, she's just kind of like staring off into the distance to the right while she talks to this rando drive in the car. It was just like, what a terrible line and what a waste of time. It, yeah, there's some really weird dialogue choices this season. The I'll tell you another interesting choice. <clears throat> Deciding that the hats were brain scanners all along. <laughs> like, I really couldn't tell if that was a joke. I was like, Man in Black has a sense of humor all of a sudden. That's hilarious. No, wait, that's actually for fucking real. It doesn't make any sense. You know, you know what? It's like well, technologically wise, if you've got hosts, sure, the hats are brain scanners. It, it's No, just- I mean, but like, who is wearing a hat the whole time though? Yeah. Like, that's so dumb. Like, can't. Can't you say that's in like the what are they called the host eyes or something like something that is doesn't make you go well how logistically how does that work like you just suddenly are filled with all these questions that you didn't have before because exactly. now we're talking about hats it's like we what do you need, mean we didn't need an explanation to that just hearing <sighs> that the ho- like the world itself was the test mm mm-hmm. mhm I was like, yeah, it sounds ridiculous, but I like the idea of that, right? Yeah. This fidelity test or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. The adding the brain, like no one was sitting there going, but don't they have to scan their brains? No one asked that question, <laughs> but they decide they need to answer it. And you, like you said, it just answers more questions. What happens if you arrive in Sweetwater, head straight for the saloon, jump into bed with a prostitute? Are you wearing a hat through that entire experience or do you yeah. take the fucking hat off? Or what if you just leave your hat somewhere? <laughs> like you're being shot at, you're off on an adventure. Like, 
Surely there's just hats scattered across that fucking island that people have lost. Very strange. All right, we've got one more storyline to talk about. Um, Maeve searching for her daughter with Hector and Sizemore. Okay, I'm going to let you take this one over since I did Man in Black. What did you feel about Maeve? Maeve was your favourite character last season. She was the highlight of the show to you. I loved Maeve last season and I still have a huge amount of affection for her this season. When they paired her with Sizemore, who is, I think, unquestionably my least favourite character of season one, I was pretty PO'd. Me I was too. like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Oh, my God. You're Kill doing him. this. Kill him. Kill him, Maeve. Why is yes. he alive still? Kill him. He is annoying. Uh-huh. He is ignorant. He's a misogynist. He's a waste of fucking space. Um, and I guess the pairing was to show this incredible emotional arc where he learns the value of someone like Maeve and he also learns the value of himself and he can be the man he's always wanted to be. My question is, where was that journey? When did that happen? When did he learn the value of Maeve? Because right up until she's, you know, sliced open on that table, he was turning on her at the drop of a hat. And now that he's seeing her like neck wide open with wires in it, which is something that he's seen a million times before. Now he's getting all weepy about it. It's just like, for me, it did not work at all. And it was a waste of Maeve's storyline. It is super clunky. And here's, here's the only thing I give to it. All right. I, I'll give it two things. I hated the idea of him being around in this season at all. I was mm. hoping he died last season. I hope he died <laughs> off screen. He didn't. And I was really unhappy that they paired him up with Maeve. We're going to make him a part of the story. Surprisingly, I didn't find him... I found him much better, much more tolerable as a character to be around because he was paired up with someone interesting enough to make him... Give him something to do. Mm-hmm. I also give the show the minimalist amount of credit for having a character go through while a clunky, awful, doesn't make sense arc, <laughs> an arc. They gave him... A story. He got, he started one place. He had an arc, and he ended somewhere else. And it and it was like it was complete. And I was like, yeah, that was the there are not there are so few of those in this show yeah. that just having one that even doesn't quite work was better than nothing. I agree that it exists in the fact that he starts at one place and finishes in another. I am truly questioned the the shape of the arc. That- <laughs> joins those two points. It, it it definitely has a really steep incline. Like, he, like yeah, it's a plateau for a long time. It's up and down. And then we're going through it. Yeah, you're it. getting like, some whiplash on that roller coaster. <laughs> exactly. This is a roller sure. coaster. It's like fucking the G's on the way down. It's, well, woof. Yeah, it's flat for the first 15 minutes of the ride. And then at the end, you just die. Um, yeah, look, it, it, did, it didn't Sorry. work for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like what a lot of things that they did with Maeve this season. I was kind of vibing on the whole Neo vibe she had. I was like, that's pretty cool. I love yeah, going was it? To- I don't know. That never sold me as being particularly interesting. I like, can I, Sorry, I'm pretty sure yeah. I said this, the idea. Yes, yes. Well <laughs> being put. Neo. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, the execution, very vague. Yes. Um, not really sure how it works, but I, there were moments, you know, when she's in the Shogun world and she like stops everyone. I was like, oh, fucking this is cool. This is going to be so cool. Game changer. 
not really a game changer, I found no. out. Um, they just continue on their journey for the most part in how they would have done previously. Um, yeah, so there was some cool bits. I... I, I think I, oh, so that's, I think I liked her ending. I don't even know because I just I don't like, know. I'm either. so emotionally confused because I didn't feel anything, and yet I care about particularly May from last season. And there were moments that I really loved of hers this season. You know when she was helping what's her name Akane, I think her name yeah. is, um her her Japanese counterpart, um like that was cool i really enjoyed that but it feels so disjointed so i feel like i liked this bit but then that bit the other bit confuses me because i didn't feel anything so i'm just kind of all over the place in regards to everyone's storylines but particularly Maeve because i was really looking forward to it yeah there's there's elements of this of this story that i like mm. i like shogun world as a concept Right, mm-hmm. like when they first arrive, and it's like samurai, awesome. I mean, for a samurai world, great. Yeah. And then we find out that they're repeating the scene we've seen for with Paint It Black from season one. Oh, that's really interesting. Like when you figure, when you start to understand that this is just the you know the Japanese sort of uh, musical version of Paint It Black, and you see it all coming together, it's like, oh, that's a cool reveal. Mm-hmm. Like this is the same as the other place. Um, and then the Doppelbots having like the Shogun world version of themselves be there and having to relate those. This is full of potential. And then I don't really feel like it gets anywhere. We still just get to a point where Maeve still wants to find her daughter. Like, what is different about, apart from Maeve having superpowers now, what did anyone else really get from this experience? Especially since all we get out of this is one character that decides to follow the posse around who doesn't fucking speak. Mm. who has nothing to inc- to add to this at all except that they shoot arrows. Like, I'm really not sure what the point ultimately of going there was or Shogun World at all. The what idea that there sh- are separate parks seems useless to me. What they should have done is because we have our two female leads, really, we've got Dolores and then we have Maeve, who are on very different paths, who are both awake. We have Maeve, who is this powerful mother who is focused on the care and life of one person and then we have Dolores who was on the side of just kind of wanting retribution and putting really no value into life and then as Dolores moves along she has a whole bunch of power she kind of recognizes that while she doesn't want to be the leader of the host. Perhaps that's the position she should be in. Whereas Dolores sees herself as the leader of the host, the freer of the people, but actually she's just another oppressor. That should have been our counterpoint of the season. We care about both the characters. Who do we really want to win? Like that could have been really interesting and full of tension and really great. We have maybe two scenes with these women together and they have brief have conversations one. about their opposing... No, we have two because there's one when they first meet out on the field and then yeah. there's one when she's on the Maeve's being caught and Dolores is like, oh, I should kill you and put you out of your misery. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that so was we nothing have mo- though. Maeve was completely incapacitated. Yeah. Well, the thing, like they have like these opposing views where, you know... Maeve really sees the value of freedom and choice. And Dolores thinks she does, but really she just wants to be in control. She wants to be the person making the rules, but there are always still rules. And so I just, 
Like, I, fu- I think that could be really interesting. 100%. But that's not what we got at all. Like, they didn't go anywhere near there, which is unfortunate in my mind. They, when that, I just think back to that scene in episode two, I think it was, when they cross each other in the night, basically. Mm. And they, like... That you are setting up a narrative expectation when you have that happen, yeah. right? Like it's like you, the gun. You showed me the gun. You're making a promise that these, you know, obviously they're passing each other in the night. They are going on different paths that are meant to converge later on to make this mean something, and it doesn't happen. That moment that you're talking about, where Maeve just lying there, and Dolores sort of, I'm not going to kill you. Mm. That did not do it for me in the slightest. No. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. The Shogun World stuff, I for a minute there, I really thought the show was finally settling into something. Like, I was like, yeah. I, I, like the chaos that was started at the end of season one seemed to be finally starting to die down. We're finding a path for these characters, a through line, but then we're done with Shogun World in two episodes, and then we're back. Immediately, we're just like, oh, now we're back in Westworld, and we've happened to pop up exactly where Maeve's daughter is and then Maeve decides that she needs to do this alone for some reason. God fucking knows why. Because that's what you do in TV and film. You just say that because apparently it means something. I also have to wonder, why. what did she expect she was going to find when she found her daughter? Did she think the daughter was just going to be on the homestead alone? Like, was it not obvious to you that there was going to be somebody playing her fucking part? Look, it did occur to me quite a few times um, throughout the season. I was like, she doesn't really have a plan, does she? She hasn't really thought about this at all. Like, at all. At all. And wasn't her intelligence, like, ratcheted up to 11? Yes, all the way up. Yeah. To the top. And she didn't think for a second about the fact there was going to be somebody playing her role in that moment. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I have no answers for you there. It's... it. Yeah, dumb. A little bit dumb. How do you feel about the revelation that Maeve was Ford's favourite? Yeah, I cried at that bit. Um, And I think just because I do care about the character of Maeve, seeing her in such a vulnerable position and kind of defeated in a lot of ways, to have that conversation with Ford was really nice. Um, and this also could have led back to the thing, the opposing forces of Maeve and Dolores that I spoke about earlier. Wouldn't it be great if it was kind of... Ford v. Arnold? Uh, yeah, Arnold's creation against Ford's creation. Yeah. That could have been really interesting. And once again, an exploration of ideas through character. But here we are. I like the idea in theory. I just feel like the show <laughs> need to do more to earn that. Yeah, that's like, the theme of this season is, like, they want moments, but they don't put the work in to earn them. Yeah, 100%. Is there anything else about the Maeve storyline? I, 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 I have to agree with you about that ending as well in terms of, like, her death, question mark, because we get the feeling that Felix and Sylvester are going to bring her yeah, back to life. Yeah, they gave a little wink to camera at the end there. Basically. But even just that moment, the execution of that whole... Let's get to actually. Let's start talking about the final episode. We want to talk about the. I want to talk about the great episodes soon. But let's talk yeah. about the final episode first, since we're kind of here. I I found it to be utterly awfully crafted in so many ways. Yeah, there are definitely ideas in there. Mm-hmm. The idea of the valley beyond, of all these 
the idea that humans are actually more simple than they were they they thought they were. They would the problem with trying to make them um, the translate their personalities digitally into hosts wasn't that they were so complicated that they were more simple than that. Um, what did you think about Robot Heaven? Um, that works for me because I at that point was so invested in Akichita, and sure. so. He, the conclusion of his story was really important to me and I was emotionally invested in that. So that moment where Maeve is like stopping everyone with her Neo powers and like she looks back and Akichita is like leading her daughter into like robot heaven, that worked for me on an emotional level totally. I just like introducing that idea in the final episode and then like th- this is the – like not understanding that this was something – that it, like we didn't know what this was. We didn't. There's. It seems to have been all of the things people were talking about. It's both robot heaven or this paradise beyond, and it's the weapon, and it's the the money making scheme. It's like I don't know. There's just so many different things going on in there. Yeah, this all whole sort of season just- is that roller coaster ride where it's boring for 15 minutes. It's a flat plane for 15 minutes, and then in the last two seconds, all of a sudden you're climbing 15 stories and then dropping down immediately. That's and you what have this to deal was. with all of that, like the entire mm-hmm. that story just being told in that last 15 minutes because we spent the rest of the time just being fucking vague. Yeah. And so that moment at the end where you're talking about where Maeve's doing the Neo bit and stopping everyone, I I didn't find it visually interesting. I found the fucking rift, the the thing. I like that the, the host, only the host could see because at first it was like, what the fuck am I looking at? This like crack in the reality. Mm. But then when Felix and Sylvester couldn't see, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that works. But it visually looked awful to me. Like- right. The other, it just looked terrible. Um, even just like all the hosts lined up, walking. I, I don't know. Uh, the these are just hosts from Westworld. What about the people from Samurai from Shogun World? What about the people from the Raj? Like, it, there were so many questions because we just all of a sudden had this huge fucking parade of people we've never met all heading to the same destination, mm. and sort of a battle take place that was. It wasn't anything. It was like, it was so poorly choreographed. Clementine comes in and she infects everybody else and they start start attacking each other. And then Maeve's posse are all attacking too and they all die, but they've just disappeared for 10 episodes, for for five episodes before this and reappeared conveniently at the start of this episode. I don't know. I was just so emotionally checked out that all this stuff Mm. that was happening wasn't visually arresting and therefore, and then wasn't emotionally arresting. I'm just like, what is happening? What, what, What is going on? Yeah. I want like... Yeah, I agree with that. The question is, what is going on? I think like that scene where like all the hosts are go are crossing over to the other side was so. It's, it certainly reminded me of like the crossing the Red Sea, um, which is obviously when Moses is like, "Come with me, guys. We're free from Egypt now." And he parts the Red Sea, and they're like scrambling as like the Egyptians are behind them, going, "We're going to kill you!" Like it reminded me of that, and. Uh, just to let you guys know at home, I'm a big fan of the film Prince of Egypt. Fucking <laughs> love it. And that scene always like gives me chills. So I was kind of having like flashbacks to like that scene that like the emotions in that scene wanting everyone to kind of like make it and get through. So like emotionally I was there. But it also it was one of those things where like they bring up this concept in like the last little bit and then Bringing it up kind of makes me ask ask more questions. So well, like, this is Maeve, the thing. Maeve has arrived, 
and she's looking through the crowd of people. And maybe there is an explanation for this and I just missed it. But she's looking through the crowds of people for her daughter. I was like, isn't she connected through to all of them through the mesh network? Like, can't she find her daughter that way? Like, I just like I didn't I, cu- I couldn't co- quite comprehend her powers and what she could and couldn't do. So it was confusing. And I didn't know what was a cool thing she was doing or like just kind of par for the course or, yeah, it was, I, I couldn't really figure out what I was meant to be impressed by and what was just, you know, something kind of normal. I just have a million questions about what the Valley Beyond Robot Heaven thing was exactly. I, mean, I understand it's a simulation that's meant to be like, it's explained by Logan AI guy inside the forge, right? Mm. That it was like this paradise where they could just exist and it would there would be none of the suffering they had in this world, right? Mm. But we didn't get enough time to really understand whether that's a good thing, a bad thing, a thing that everybody really wants, a thing that some people would choose not to have. Like there was no time spent, just everybody starts heading there. A door opens, a Kichitar, I kind of believe going in there especially, but I don't necessarily believe that. Uh, does everybody else want that? Does everybody understand what they're doing when they go there? Is that, like, what's this place like? Is it actually paradise? Is it another cage like Dolores suggests? We get five minutes to consider this, and mm. we can't have an opinion on whether it's good or bad or know anything about it. It just has yeah. a nice, like, sun, like a screensaver of the sun going down. Like, that's all yeah. we know about it. It's is just it a fucking. The, is it the people that are awake that Akichitar has kind of been like walking around the world, spreading the good word. Are they um, awake, though? Like, how awake is awake? Because isn't if you're awake, isn't it, like, can Maeve control people or can, or can Clementine control people who are still awake or only the ones who are still sort of drones? There's, this is the well, thing, Maeve this- can only control people who aren't awake at all, right? Yeah. Because she can't control... Lawrence. Lawrence. Yeah. Or she so kind of half controls him. She like, I don't know. It's again, there seems to be like there's different levels of wokeness. It's so confusing because there's no mm. fucking clear rules to this thing. Yeah. So the woman like that is a part of Akechita's tribe, the older yes. woman, who is aware that her son has been replaced by someone. Yes. Do you consider her awake or what do you consider her? This is what I mean. I do not know. Mm. I don't know. It, uh, there seem to be levels because I thought because Bernard's maybe, aware okay, that he's an AI, but he doesn't get his bicameral mind until the end of this season. Yeah, maybe we need to change the language then. From like, so awake people are like Dolores and Maeve, and then we have aware people like 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 a Kichitar and that other woman in the tribe who are aware of another world of things wrong within their own world. Sure, but perhaps aren't totally can't totally conceptualize of what the thing actually is. But so if they're aware but not awake, are they really in a place to decide what they really want? Like they they don't have all the information to make that choice, do they? Well, may, but maybe that's Dolores's point though, is that like you're just giving them another falsehood because you don't want them to be their full selves. You You don't even give them the opportunity to be that. Okay, so what am I meant to feel for Maeve, who is allowing her daughter to go into this place that we don't fully understand or even no understand what they want? I have no idea. This is what I mean. This is, I this am is my not problem. on the set, Brod. I didn't write. <laughs> but this is what I mean. It's like 
this is where my like your emotional investment like when you say Maeve does her cool neo stuff and is helping your daughter I get that in concept but because the stakes aren't clear because I don't really understand what these people's level of awakeness or awareness is what that means for what they are in terms of that are they still running on a program for the most yeah. part what happens when they enter that realm? Do they suddenly become awake and awoke? Do they have a choice? Mm-hmm. Like, what's that world even like? There's just, yeah. it's That's just such thing, a vagary. Like, so if they brought up robot heaven a lot earlier, yes. and so we have on the side Maeve wanting that place to exist, wanting to go there for her daughter. So, like, she can't be harmed. She's going to live for the rest of eternity just in peace. That's what she wants for her daughter and, by extension, the rest of the host. That's her aim. And Dolores just sees it as another fucking trap, so another another cave for them to be in. So we should have been able to have really in-depth conversations about the concept of this heaven exactly. way earlier so we exactly. could have a full grasp of both sides. We get it in the last episode. But they don't even interact about it. Like, no, those two opposed ideas never get to have that conversation mm. yeah Maeve never has the conversation with anyone <laughs> <laughs> no she doesn't this that I, I I don't know did it feel rushed to you like they didn't mean to get here like this this season do you think this was how they ex- expected this season to end did it feel like this is what this whole season was setting up for? I, d- I don't th- Yes, I do think this is what they were setting up for. Oh, Christ. I, I don't oh. think it was rushed. I think it was they were too concerned with something that is of no concern to the audience, really. And that is being tricky and confusing people and making sure people can't pick the ending. Yeah. I don't fucking care if I can pick an ending. Sure, you don't want something to feel stale and like you've seen it a million times before. Of course not. But it's like what doesn't like to not do that you just make the journey before the ending so compelling so enriching to the viewer that no matter where we end it feels good to have gone on that journey it feels like you have gone on a journey but this was just to purposefully confuse and confound people to the point that they couldn't even grasp what was happening like it just they were focused on the wrong thing that's what I don't I really don't think that it was rushed or anything like that I truly think they just lost sight of what was important in storytelling a couple of other quick things Mm. about the last episode the Maeve and the Bulls bit was pretty cool it's a shame it was in the trailer and featured very heavily in the trailer well I remember us talking about the trailer and you said oh it's probably just a shot for the trailer like they're not i really did think that yeah Yeah. (laughs) it looks like that like it looks like a shot just for the trailer it it looks it looks shot separately to the rest of the series yeah um how do you feel about the reveal that hail in the present day was dolores all along okay so it just (laughs) it just made me go what are you talking about? Because then I had to look back and think about all the times I had seen Hale previously. So I don't know. Fuck. Okay. So fair enough. You want to tell new stories. I get it. You want to burn down the library and blah, 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 all that shit Ford talks about. I get it. However, our human brains are wired to respond to a beginning, a middle, and an end. Sort of the way that time flows 
in real life, the way that we experience the world and therefore um, sort of digest information. (laughs) Yeah. Stories have developed the way that they have because literally our brain chemistry responds in a way to beginning, middles and ends that is satisfying to us and makes sense. This show cannot be so meta that it is creating stories that only a new species could (laughs) comprehend. Okay, so they are working in a visual medium. To use the visual medium in a comprehensible way to tell this new story, the story itself, sure, it can be different, but the rules of the medium still apply. You need to give me visual cues so I can differentiate between two weeks ago, five days ago. Now this is a different hail because I know that it takes place in this time period. The stuff with Hale is so confusing to me because she looks the same in every fucking scene. She's usually with the same people, usually in the same area or literally the same set. It is so hard to piece together that I was like, oh, I guess I could figure it out if I rewatched Westworld, but I'm not going to rewatch it because it was so unsatisfying the first time. It makes me so angry that they've got this big reveal that would have been impossible to figure out. If it's, oh, I fucking hate it. Can you tell? Apparently, apparently, if you do go back and watch those scenes, the sort of Dolores impression that Tessa Thompson is giving is really good. Oh, I'm sure. It's nothing but against the I actress. I'm sure she's great. going back and watching it. I yeah, do no, not, not at all. I do not want to. And like you said, I can't. it's hard to differentiate in my brain and my memory anyway which scenes were her in the present day or like pre-flood and post-flood anyway. Exactly. And yeah. so, I, I can't even remember what it means for her to have been Dolores all the time except for the point where she goes, oh, it was Dolores all the time and kills the mm-hmm. guy. And yeah. then, like, it is only relevant information to me in that scene. Yeah. When we find out. And I was like, oh, cool. I guess, look, if I rewatch it, now those scenes have a different context. But it, it, like, in no way did it feel, did she feel off to me? She seemed exactly like Charlotte Hale would be. So it didn't really change the narrative whether she was Dolores or Charlotte Hale. So I don't know. I don't know. It was what? it was nothing. It was a nothing reveal. The reveal was yeah, it nothing. Was. It meant yeah. nothing. I didn't care about it. It was just a twist for the sake of a twist. Mm-hmm. It didn't change anything for me except the point where she goes, huh, guess what? I'm Dolores. Fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. The I was just thinking about you were talking about how we as humans respond to narratives playing a certain way. Because, like I was just thinking the one species this would work for is that... Um, that scrotum monster, that ballsack monster alien thing from Rick and Morty that lives yeah. in the four, in four dimensions. I'm sure it makes perfect sense to him. I'm sure he's watching this show going, this is fucking easy as shit. This is a great narrative. For it's everybody a kid's else, show in that reality, yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone is dead except for Dolores, Bernard, and a couple of unknowns. Teddy made it to paradise somehow. I think we can assume that Dolores took his chestnut and put him in. Yeah, because we see her take his chestnut. His chestnut, right, okay. And then assume she uploads when they're at the forge, when she's doing all that typey-typey stuff. How does his body get into the water, into the flood? Kind of feel like well, it was left a long way away. Unless yeah, the flood I don't, was I don't know the thought. geography of the area, so. I mean, I'm not going to get bogged down in that fucking minutia. Good sure. Lord. We'd be here all day. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, final bit. The post credit scene. I'm assuming you watched that, right? Yeah, I did. 
Okay. I didn't mean to. I was just kind of on Twitter or something trying to find people that hated this season as much as I did and I just let the credits roll. I was like, oh, it's still going. There we go. Um. So, we... <laughs> what on the surface looks like to be the worst possible thing they could have done, we get to the end, uh, the man in black, he's made his way down the elevator into the forge or whatever and he gets there and the place looks like it's ancient, ruined. It's been there decades, if not centuries later. The place is a mess. Have you ever played Portal 2? It looks like uh, Aperture Laboratories in, in Portal 2. And then Emily walks out and we find out that the, he's they've run this simulation on him thousands of times. It's a fidelity test as well. And essentially, this version of the man in black that we're looking at is an artificial version of him. Mm-hmm. So... If you were not paying close enough attention, you might think that this is suggesting that the man in black was a host the entire time. I don't think that's what they're suggesting, thank Christ. Because if they were, so. fuck this show. <laughs> Just fuck this show right off. Mm. I think it's suggesting that it's hard to know. It, there's a In a far off future, for some reason, they're trying to recreate the man in black or do something with, they need something from mm. him but we don't know what. It might be some sort of John Connor type situation where he's like a fucking chosen one or has a key to something that they need to figure out or some bullshit. Sure. Yeah. How do we feel about this post-credit scene? Does it excite us? Did it infuriate us? Did anything else? Well, it made me go... Well, not when I was watching it, but when for story time... I did it in a linear fashion because I'm sane. <laughs> um, and so, like, there's a scene where he's, like, talking to Lawrence about going back and fixing his greatest mistake. And I was like, is he referencing killing Emily? But then, like, he wouldn't know. Is it just the creation of the forge? Is that what he's talking about there? I don't know the context anyway, of that whole conversation. Anyway, it just made me look back and go, wh- what parts of that that I just watched was this future recreation of the man in black or what was happening at the same fucking time. And then I realized at that point, yeah, no, you don't care to mask. Just stop asking that, yourself that's questions. That's the thing, right? <laughs> Apparently, again, from interviews, from what I understand, everything up to the point where Dolores, so he blew his hand off with the mm. sabotaged gun. Yeah. Is human right? Is that yeah, right? Okay. And then mm-hmm. elevator onwards of which is just one shot of him going down the elevator. We expect him to cross paths with Dolores and he doesn't. With Bernard, I think, yeah. With Bernard, I think you're right, sorry. Mm-hmm. Is the future, is like the simulation yeah. him or future. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was just as I was writing story time that I was like, oh, wait, what, maybe? Oh, fuck, I don't know. You know, I just, I, I mean, because I don't know what it means, I don't care. Let's change this up a little bit. Let's talk about what we did like about this season. Mm. And we've already talked a little bit about The Riddle of the Sphinx, which is episode four, the Jim Hale Fidelity Test episode. Do there anything else you wanted to add to that? Um, I think we explained that pretty well already talking about earlier. I just think it's a great episode of television. Like, I, I think it's very, very well constructed and put together. Like, I, it, I think that's a great episode. Unlike a lot of episodes of Westworld or the majority of episodes of Westworld, it felt like a complete episode. With, yes, it did. You know, mm-hmm. the opening sequence with him, we don't really understand what's going on. It's just this sort of interview scene. Then we find out, oh, he was, you know, this virtual version or whatever. 
Then the middle version where we do this again for the second time. Then the final version where it's the grown-up um, William, Man in Black, and then he goes insane. Then the very final reveal where we see him um, gone completely insane where Bernard and Elsie find him mm. was so cool just yeah, to see that all play out in one episode. And it's like you can do that sort of like flashback and time skipping stuff as long as you keep it contained a little bit. Like you make it feel like a whole by just doing it in one episode. I really, really liked that episode in the way it was constructed as well. I, I agree with you 100%. All those scenes with with Jim Hale were really well directed and just really compelling. Mm-hmm. Episode eight. You're saying Jim was, Hale? Uh, is it? No, sorry. Jim. Uh, sorry. I don't know who Jim Hale is. Jim uh, Delos. I don't know Delos. who Jim Hale is. Jim <gasps> Delos. Twist. He's Charlotte's dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, whoa. I've just added to this. Um, episode nine. We've already talked about Vanishing Point as well, which is the William, Juliet, Emily backstory stuff, which mm-hmm. I really liked as well. Yep. Um, the last one we need to talk about is episode eight, Kiksuya, uh, which is about Akichita and his story of awakening. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason we sort of haven't brought this up up to this point is because it's kind of individual from the rest of the season. Yeah, it is. It tells a single standalone storyline. So, Damas, tell me why you like this episode so much. I like this story because it reminds me of um, moments that I felt in season one with Maeve and Dolores in which we see this being um, discover themselves um, and to see the world a little bit clearer, um, which is interesting. Um, but not only that, they make this such a beautiful episode. It's Akichita is such a lovable character mm-hmm. and we feel his loss. That's a big part of why this episode is great is it has emotional power behind it. We attach to Akichita and his wife. We are, you know, disheartened when he is turned into a savage and how that yeah. affects and isolates him. Um, for the comfort of the guests who just want to murder a savage. We see him lose his wife. We see him, you know, fight to get her back and then she's put into cold storage. Holy shit. And he does this incredibly brave thing and he realises that he has to kind of go to the other side. He has to die to, you know, get his wife back, to go like straight into Hades and like take her back and it's fucking exciting mm-hmm. and to see this character in that world and finding her and that emotionally raw moment when he realizes that she's not really there and he looks around him and he realizes that he's you know he says his his heart the heartbreak is not just his own mm-hmm. it is a heartbreak of many people and it his sense of duty to not only his immediate tribe, but the tribe of everyone that is there in Westworld, all of the hosts is so beautiful and so compelling. And this episode is character driven. It is infused with emotion, with emotional stakes. You care about him. You want him to succeed. You want him to find his wife. You want him to liberate his people, all of the hosts of Westworld. It's a fucking great episode. 
And obviously we have that connection with Maeve, who is someone who like her, her tribe is a tribe of two. It's her and her daughter. And that's what she wants to salvage. And she's able to communicate or he's able to communicate with her and just connect. Watching characters connect in that way was such a relief, like eight episodes in about time, but it was really great to see. Yeah, no, I agree. It it does everything you're talking about. It's not. It's interesting. This is the third time, kind of, we've sort of seen this story told, but it's mm. told possibly the best of all of them. Um, it's interesting to know he wasn't the first one. There, sorry, he. There was others who were woke, sort of before Maeve or Bernard mm. or Dolores. Yeah. It fills in some interesting things. The backstory, finding out, for instance, why the symbol of the maze is sort of all over the park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, was pretty cool. Like to actually, I didn't. I didn't think we'd ever get that explanation. I really yeah, just thought that wasn't going to happen. It explains the idea of like the. I think they show the religion of how the Ghost Nation sort of like um, has this idea of the the men in the suits that come to collect mm-hmm. them and stuff like that. Yeah, like little things like that are just peppered in. Uh, fills in some holes I never thought they'd get to, which was cool. But then, of course, yeah, like you said, the emotional story of it is just. It's there. and But what's weirdly frustrating, because this episode is so good, it's like, how can you make a, an, an episode and tell a story so clearly in an hour and and have it be so good and not realize that everything else that you're making around this doesn't fulfill what this does in one episode? Mm. Like, this episode has, has character, which seems to have disappeared from this show. There's just all these grand proclamations of, and people talking in riddles or... And, and even the little small character moments seem to have disappeared from the show at that point. There's so many of them in this episode and it does it so beautifully. It tells a complete story. It has a beautiful arc. It doesn't need to fuck around with time fuckery except for just sort of skipping ahead just because it takes place over a grand scale of time. Mm. It, it It just boggles the mind that the rest of the show can be so, so unaware of itself when this is such so good. The potential, again, is expressed right here of what this show could be if it was just allowed to be. Anyway. <laughs> one last thing but I wanted to ask. It was beautiful. The performances were incredible. Um, I love the... I believe it, it would have been this episode, the um, interaction between Akichita and Ford. Yes. Uh, just the, the, yeah, that was the way that scene looks yep. is pretty fabulous. Um, yep. Yeah, it was a fantastic episode. And, you know, I agree with what you're saying in that because it's so good, it makes how banal the rest of the season is really come forward. You're like, oh, shit, yeah, that's um, this is what I wanted. And I know you can do it because you're showing me you can do it. And the fact that you haven't, it's kind of jarring at this point. Have you watched Lost, much of Lost? I watched the first couple of seasons when it first came out, but I got over like, because you know, it would always have the ads all the time of like, what's, what's in, in the, the blah, 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 whatever it was. Yeah. Um, like it was just so, it was just like, okay, I get it. There's another mystery. There's another mystery. So I just stopped. The more I think about it, the more I think this show is taking over what Lost did. In that the first season of Lost is fantastic. It sets up this fantastic world and premise and it puts me in a place where I'm like, I can't wait to see the rest of it. Westworld did the same thing. The thing that Lost had going for it was I found myself less and less interested the more complicated it got. 
but there were some really high, high episodes along the way, like great mm-hmm. episodes that the constant and stuff like that, which I still think about today and go, that was a great hour of television. And Westworld has this too. Mm. But the episode to episode story isn't working, even if there are great, unique episodes in here that only Westworld could do. Mm. Like Lost, I'm just sure, not sure the whole show is worth it for those moments. Yeah. I mean, that's um, a great thing about doing the podcast the way that we do in which we take the season-long narrative as a whole, as a whole yeah. piece of art, and we analyse it as one complete thing. Because, um, yeah, there there are great moments in this season, but as a whole, it's just kind of a mess, which mm-hmm. is disappointing. Um. Also worth noting, Anthony Hopkins looks very comfortable scalping people. I'm not that surprised by that for some <laughs> no, reason. No, none of us are. All right, let's get into our final thoughts. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Okay, a couple of quick side notes. I just want to put it out there, I still love this theme song. As much as the opening titles are sort of fit into that, We've seen this done a million times. Oh, you're coming around to my theory that those uh, titles suck. I'm so over them. Really? Yeah, they suck. You know know this, that I hate those, that kind of title sequence. Yeah, no, that title sequence is being done to death, but I like the song a lot. Like, every time the song's on, I want to keep listening to it until the end. You know what it makes me go? I was like, oh, they were really, really skirting close to and trying hard for the Game of Thrones thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so, absolutely. so similar. Yeah. No, I think it's the same composer. That's why. Yeah. I think it's the same person who does both of them. Um, I just wanted to ask quickly as well, there are a lot There are a lot of deaths this season. Like, a lot, a lot. Angelo is one of the first ones to go. I think Clementine's dead at the end of this. Maeve's dead. Hector's dead. Blah, blah, blah's dead. The only ones who really... Sh- Still alive at the end of this are uh, who we got um, Dolores and Bernard and somebody in Dolores or in Hale's body mm-hmm. who we don't know what it is and then like four other chestnuts. Do we have any theories on who those other people will be? Oh, I got nothing. Yeah, I don't know because who else did oh. she connect to except for Teddy and Teddy? She put in the Teddy. Um, would man in man in black's chestnut? But he didn't. Wasn't a chestnut to be a chestnut at that state. I don't know. Could she download his data into a chestnut though? I suppose that that's a possibility. I mean, that's what Ford did. I guess. Um, yeah, I guess that's a possibility. Um, I know someone who heads up Dallas. Um. Oh, so you think she's actually downloaded some of the humans who had been programmed into there because she's going to use them to... Maybe. And maybe one for herself, so she's got a backup. Who knows? Maybe. It's an interesting idea. Um, did it feel? Did this feel like a series finale to you at all? Did this have any sort of sense of finality to it? No, it didn't. Because I, I kept thinking, you could end the show here. There's so many, like, so many deaths... You've sent half of these characters to fucking robot heaven. Um, you've explained that they got off the island, so off the island, off um, out of Westworld onto the mainland. And while there might be a story to tell about what happens next, 
it doesn't feel like they had to. They sort of just set up the, like the inevitable, oh, Dolores needs Bernard, Bernard needs Dolores, and that's how yeah. things will continue I f- on from I feel there. like I got more of a sense of that after season one. I was like, that could totally be the end, and that would be awesome. Um, but not with this one. No, I didn't get a, I didn't feel like, oh, they could end it here. I didn't get that at all. Okay. I was like, no, no, no. I need more or you need to get rid of season two. The Because for me, I thought season one ended at a place where I was like, oh, now the introduction or the the prologue is done. Like that was like, oh, the setup's done and now the real story can start to take yeah. place. Where I, I feel assume- like season one was a complete story is what yes. I'm saying. And so th- to end it there would have just been like a cool movie where like this – you know, the awakening is begin and it's like that's up to our imagination. But season sure. two is such a small, compact, confused story that it doesn't feel like a complete story really. Um, and it, to me, it, it literally feels like a, 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 the middle part of a story. No, I, I definitely agree. It doesn't feel yeah. like a complete story. It felt like a rushed story. Like, yeah. like I feel like there was so much, especially by the end of it, that was being introduced late in the game that this was meant to take place over a longer period of time. I don't know exactly. But I really expected that the story that started at the start of this season was going to last two, three, four seasons before we got to the real end place, if that makes sense. Um, I'm surprised that it feels like we're leaving the park so mm-hmm. soon and like, I don't know. Yeah, I, so just, I, don't think, I don't think we can stay in the park for too long because... Honestly, if the hosts are getting too out of control, you'd fucking just bomb the island. Like it, 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 like you wouldn't be sending men down to like take care of these things. You'd just be sending planes with bombs. Like I, do, I think like we needed to get off the island pretty quickly. I guess I'm just, I'm just. It's confusing when so many hosts are still, or either dead or mm. in the robot heaven. Like. Literally two hosts get off and like five nobodies, the people we don't understand. It just feels like I expected more characters that I've come to theoretically care about over the last two seasons would have made off the island too. I don't know. Odd mm. to me. No, I, I totally get what you're saying and I would have liked that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, didn't happen. <laughs> Do you... Okay. Least favorite and favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? <clears throat> So I think technically the first three <laughs> are on are certainly on this list, um, but I think ultimately I'm going to have to go with episode ten, the passenger. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think it's the worst episode, but it was the episode that made me look back and go, "Huh, not worth it." Um, yeah. This episode perhaps could have reframed some things that made me think about rewatching the season or perhaps appreciate it in a different way, but it did not do that. I continued to be dissatisfied. I was even possibly more confused. Um, the stakes were so low at that point because of many of the characters I either didn't care about or wasn't allowed to understand. And when we got to a point where perhaps we could understand them, I didn't or I didn't care or, you know, the ones that I didn't care about that's all of a sudden I meant to feel something for. It's too late at that point. Um, so this was just like a culmination of all 
of my um, frustration mm-hmm. and just how unsatisfying it was. I just like, it's got to be my least favorite because it made me look back and go, oh, there are a couple of episodes where I thought, oh, yeah, okay, it's going to get good. It's going to get good now. Yeah. And then when this episode finished, I was like, oh, it didn't. <laughs> That's a shame. Yeah. What about you? I'm the same, exactly the same. Episode 10, The Passenger, and the same as you. I switched what like I kept writing I take notes for every episode this is my least favorite no this is my least favorite no this is my least favorite and like did it three four five times throughout the season which is odd because normally it's pretty obvious when something's even my least favorite in a season I have usually have one or two episodes I'm choosing between Mm. this like it just kept outdoing itself somehow in a weird (laughs) awful way and yeah. the f- finale, like you, it sort of summed up my problems with this season. Bigger but not better. Puzzles over characters. Ideas over story. All of the worst and none of the best elements of the show for me. And just like, yeah, made me reflect on the rest of the season and go, nah, this this was awful. Um, what about your favourite episode, Damask? Well, I think we know what the favourite will be. It'll be episode eight, Kiksuya. Um, It was a beautiful hour of television. And it explored ideas through character. And that's what I wanted out of this show. I wanted complex ideas and philosophies brought to life because that's what I need. <laughs> I need those things brought to life by interesting and engaging characters. I l- loved that episode. I re- like That's an episode I would gladly watch again and again. Mm-hmm. I think it's fantastic. What about you? I think that's right. I think you're right that Ketsu- Ketsuya um, is the best episode of the season. But I'm going to give my favourite episode of the season to episode nine, Vanishing Point, Mm -hmm. which is the Man in Black flashback episode. Yep. Because, like I said, it could have been that. It could have been Riddle of the Sphinx as well. Um, But I'm giving it to this one mainly because I think it had the most rewarding character moment from the investment of someone who's been watching since episode one. If that makes mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, like, I get you. It got me to a point, it was the highest high for the show or this season on its ongoing trajectory. Mm-hmm. And it gave me a lot of hope for the finale. It was like, oh, maybe they can pull this together. Maybe they know better than I thought they did about how this mm-hmm. has come together. What a shame that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, maybe this rocky road is going to be worth it. I had sort of, I kept, I wondered a lot as this season went on, is this how I felt about last season? Is this how I felt about last season that it just sort of worked at the end and that's why I liked it? Mm. But um, no, 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 that wasn't it at all. But yeah, I I did really like episode nine. Um, do you have any predictions, hopes or concerns going forward to season three? My concern is that they continue to focus on um, tricks and hiding their own narrative yeah um in in the next season i i hope a hope of mine is that they feel comfortable just telling a linear story um that is focused on the ideas and us as, as an audience are given the time to marinate on those ideas and appreciate them and come to understand them and decide for ourselves do we agree do we disagree um it can it can actually be we can truly participate in the story more than just trying to guess what happens but really actively engage with the material would be fabulous um as for predictions who the fuck knows what about you (laughs) yeah i've got no idea when it comes to predictions anything's possible um could be set not too long in the future uh could be set way in the future could be in the park out of the park both which characters will return? Did Dolores... Who Dolores take out of the park? I don't know. Anything is literally possible with this show. 
Um, and I'm not convinced any characters beyond Resurrection. Like, even Teddy. I know Teddy's been sent off in Robot Heaven, off into the fucking universe somewhere who even knows where he's gone. And yet, I just don't believe... I don't believe it's beyond possibility that he could come back. Well, if you can upload the data, sh- surely you can download it, right? Well, uh, even if it's just that, how do they make... Like, when they make someone like Jim Delos... Isn't or even when they make Arnold, for instance, when they, when when Dolores and Ford make Bernard, that was they were using Dolores's memories of him to create Bernard, right? Mm-hmm. Couldn't Dolores make Teddy the same way, like use her memories of him to recreate him and his personality? Yeah, but she doesn't have the Forge anymore, so I don't know how she'd have something with the capability to do that. I I don't I. Like, you can write ways around this. They retconned Ford putting his mind in the fucking cradle. I just don't think... I think there are so many ways and options the show could get there. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it could. However, if the rumors are true and the budget's getting a cut um, and that the third season will be the final season, I'm not sure. Maybe to me, these actors are too expensive. Maybe they killed or semi-killed most of these people off so they could choose, pick and choose they wanted to bring back. Mm-hmm. So, it could be a really, a much smaller, less expensive season, which I'm kind of excited for. Yeah, me too. I think it might be necessary. Yeah. To do that. If uh, It'd be interesting. The idea that this might be the last season is interesting if they have to like wrap it up. Um, does I don't know if it feels like it's ready to be wrapped up. Either it, Either it's done now or what's, I'm not sure what's left to tell can be done in one season. I don't know. I don't know. I'm really confused about where I feel about. I, I'm curious, but I have no emotional investment in what happens next. Is sort of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that the season finale of season two had a thirty percent audience drop on the first season's finale? I did see that. Yeah, which is terrible for a show that's trying to build an audience. Yeah, to be going I'm not surprised though. Backwards, me either. That's what happens uh, when you make your show unwatchable. That's like, it. You exactly. Can't understand it. Mm. Exactly. Um, I, as you said, I hope we can tell a linear narrative. I hope they can find a story that's worth telling, and I hope hope they can make me care. That's it. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. You can email us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com. Tweet us at huntingscast. You can find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at bgordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S. I have a, um, a very long... Um, sort of Twitter, not very long, a Twitter thread with my review of The Incredibles up there in writing. If you're interested in seeing that, Incredibles 2, I should say, check that out on Twitter. Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O. I was tweeting about uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, which has actually completed this week, but I will bring the season finale um, recap uh, in next week's reality check. Um, what else have I been tweeting about? Oh, just how annoyed I was at Westworld. I think that was about it. Yeah. Thank you very much to Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws, for his logo and design work. Thank you, Jordan Calavis, for our theme song, and Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club for our bumpers. Find links to their work in our show notes. If you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who think uh, you you think might enjoy listening. Uh, we also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, which you can now find us now. Google Podcasts is now a thing, Ooh. and we are on there, on Stitcher, and on Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. Next time, we'll be back to discuss Glow Season 2. I've only watched the first couple episodes so far, but I am very excited to watch the rest and talk about it. 
you might remember I gave the first season five stars because I fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. How are you going, Damask? Look, am I re-watching it for the second time? Yes, <laughs> I am. I That's smashed a- it in one night and I was like, going to do that again. That is a good <laughs> sign. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. Earbudsnetwork.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.